All right, so I'm going to start things off a little bit differently than I ever have on the podcast before. I just want to start out with a word of prayer because this topic here, I don't want anything to be said outside of what the Holy Spirit would have me to say in this moment. And so the best way I know to do that is just to approach the throne of grace and ask the Lord to just use me as a mouthpiece. So I'm going to get into a word of prayer, and then we're just going to dive headfirst into this topic of who is Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you so very much for this moment. Um, I thank you so very much for this time. I thank you for allowing me to be able to come forth today. I'm extremely humbled in this moment to be able to speak on the name of Jesus. I feel even just saying that in my spirit, Father, I feel the weight of it and and um, just the heaviness of coming forth with your name and, and speaking on your son's name, Father. Um, it's something that I don't take lightly. And in this moment, I feel too just that tug of feeling unworthy, um, but then also just the validation from you that you have called me worthy. You have have made me clean and, and given me a place to where I'm able to come forth with truth that you have allowed me to read in books and hear and in sermons and, and just to be able to research and to find out questions that I had, the answers to them, Father. And I thank you for for just the proof that you have all around us. And I pray that you would just help this this topic today to reach whoever you would have it to reach, Father. I pray, I know that I'm not the smartest person in the world. I know that I do not have all the answers, but I know that you have helped me uncover answers that I needed that helped me in my faith walk. And so I pray, Father, that you allow this to reach, if it takes five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it takes. I know that I am not unique in the fact that I was trying to find out and still trying to find out as much about you as I can, Jesus. And so I pray that you would allow this to help the person that's listening to this right now that is trying to find out more about you, that's maybe having doubts, that's maybe struggling in their faith, that maybe wants validation that Jesus was a real historical figure from different sources outside of the Bible. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just use me as a mouthpiece in this moment. Not for any any way that I can brag about it or any way that I can say that I'm good, Lord, but just for you to use this moment, use me as a mouthpiece, Lord. I'm putting my yes on the table. I'm putting anything and everything that I have in this moment, Father, for you. And I pray that you would just use it. And I love you, Jesus. I thank you so very much again for this moment. I thank you for this time. I pray that you keep Satan away right now as I speak. I pray that you keep away any distractions, any anxiety, any fear, any doubt, any lack of confidence, anything that the that Satan tries to bring against me in this moment. I pray that you would just keep him away from this moment, Father, and help, again, nothing to be said outside of what you would have me to say. I pray that you would lead and guide me. I love you, and this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I don't like to just look down the whole episode reading notes and things like that, but um, I've been doing research on this um, for a couple years now just because I was trying to find out as much as I could about Jesus, and I've been able to discover the things that have built my faith in a way that you can never sway me from the fact that Jesus Christ walked this earth, that he was a real historical figure, but not just that he was just some historical figure, but that he was the embodiment of God. He was God in flesh. He was the one and only son of God. And he walked this earth for 33 years, a perfect life, died on the cross for us, rose on the third day. And now he sits at the right hand of God. And he tells us that he is that mediator between God and man. And, and I want to 
hopefully through this build, this will be something that builds your faith as well to see, okay, it's not just something that I heard growing up in Sunday school. It's not just something that my grandparents or my parents talked to me about. Jesus Christ is a real person. So without further ado, let's just get into it. I want to present to you guys some different historians outside of the Bible, different facts that I've been able to find out outside of the Bible. And then, of course, we're going to get into Scripture to talk about who Jesus said that he was. Um, but then also I want to kind of go back and forth with the different prophecies that Jesus fulfilled from the Old Testament. And then um, to end it, to end the episode, I want to look at in regards to everything that we talk about, where does that leave us? So let's just get right into it. Like I said in last week's episode with Patrick, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Um, I encourage you to look up things for yourself. I encourage you to do some research on your own time. I do not have all the answers and maybe some of the things that I'm putting forth to you today is something that doesn't even answer any of the questions that you might be having. Um, but I just want to encourage you therein that this is something that has built my faith. These are the things that I needed to prove to me um, or to help prove to me that Jesus was actually a historical person that we can prove outside of the Bible. And so let's just jump right into it. I don't want to waste any more time. So um, some of these names, like I said, uh, I probably should have paid better attention in high school. So some of these names, I might misread them, um, but we're just going to get into it. We're going to do the best that we can. First, we have a Roman senator. He was a governor. His name was Tacitus. Hopefully I'm saying that right. He was uh, the, the uh, a Roman senator from 56 to 120 AD. Um, he was the governor of what is now Turkey. He was a well-known historian, and he said of Jesus, Nero hated a class called Christians by populace. Christ suffered extreme penalty, which was crucifixion during the reign of Tiberius at the hand of Pilate. And so I'm going to I'm going to read probably about six or seven of these different historians um, and people outside of Scripture who said something about Jesus to prove that Jesus was a real person. And here's the thing that I want to say before we get into any of these other names is these people didn't have anything to gain by saying these things about Jesus. These people were enemies of Christians. What they were doing was just coming forth with common knowledge of that day. Like they just spoke of Jesus as if like if somebody today, a current historian of today would speak of somebody 50 years ago. You know what I'm saying? So they, they were just coming forth with, with, with common knowledge because Jesus was was in fact real, that they were just saying this. Oftentimes they were saying these things to be able to build up a case against Christians. So a lot of the validation that they gave to Christ was to try to hurt Christians. Um, and so the next person that we have here is uh, Cytonius, I think is how you say it. He was the overseer of the libraries of Rome. He writes about the uh, emperor Claudius, and he says he banished the class. I'm sorry. He banished the Jews from Rome for making a disturbance under the name of Christ as their leader. And now we have Josephus. He was best known as a, a Jewish historian in the time of Christ, right around 90 or 95 AD. And he said, now that was around this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works. He also said he was a teacher of such men who received the truth with pleasure. He won over many of the Jews and Gentiles alike. He was the Christ when Pilate condemned him to the cross. These that loved him at first did not forsake him. He appeared to them alive on the third day as the divine prophets had foretold. 
these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Jesus is historical. Um, he appears on the landscape of history um, throughout. All right, so next up we have Lucian of Samosota. Um, he was a satirist, I think is how you said, S-A-T-I-R-I-S-T. Like I said, forgive me, I was not the best high school student. He said, the Christians you know worship a man to this day, the distinguished parsonage who introduced their novel rites and crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus. And that was written in the death of Peregrine in uh, 170 AD. So now we have Mara Bar, I think you say it, Sarah Poen. He was a philosopher. It says, what advantage did the Athenians gain from putting Socrates to death? Famine and plague came upon them as a judgment for their crime. What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? It was just after that that their kingdom was abolished. God justly avenged these three wise men. The Athenians died of hunger. The Seminians were overwhelmed uh, by the sea. The Jews, ruined and driven from their land, live in complete dispersion. But Socrates did not die for good. He lived on the teaching of Plato. Nor did the wise king die for good. He lived on the teaching which he had given. Talking about Jesus gave on the teaching of he was God. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. All right. And then we got a name that probably would be more recognizable to you if you're listening to this right now. Isaac Newton. I think everybody knows Isaac Newton, right? Obviously a super smart guy. Um, he had an IQ of 210. Um, he said, I believe the more I study science, the more I believe in God. He said, we account that the scriptures of God to be the most sublime philosophy. I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane secular history whatsoever. And so just a little bit about Isaac Newton here also. Sir Isaac Newton was likely one of the greatest scientists who ever lived. He made fundamental contributions to every major area of scientific and mathematical uh, concerning in his generation, including revolutionary advances in mathematics, calculus, optics, physics, and astronomy. He also said, don't doubt the creator because it is the in it is inconceivable that accidents alone could be the controller of this universe. And obviously he was a, a guy that was, he'd probably be able to read these names that I just mentioned correctly. Um, he's a very, very smart man. He's somebody who is saying, you can believe that Christ is actually real. You can actually believe that the Bible is actually real. And I believe that we, you know, we touched on that last week in a way that I think it's indisputable to believe that the Bible is anything other than an authentic document that we can trust and that we can read. And so here's a couple little facts that I found off of a website called theguardian.com. And it, it's just some question answers type thing. Um, the first question was, how confident can we be that Jesus Christ actually lived? And it says the historical evidence of Jesus of Nazareth is both long established and widespread. Within a few decades of his supposed life, he has mentioned by Jewish and Roman historians, as we talked about a minute ago, as well as by dozens of Christian writings. Compare that with, for example, King Arthur, who supposedly lived around A.D. 500, the major historical source for events 
of that time does not even mention Arthur, and he is first re uh, referred to three or four hundred years after he is supposedly to have lived. The evidence for Jesus is not limited to latter folklore as are accounts of Arthur. And we touched on that last week with the book of John written 90 years after uh, uh, the death of Christ. And we have different scriptures. Um, uh, I believe it's first, it's either first or second Corinthians. We talked about last week that was written 15 to 20 years within the, the life of Christ. Um, okay. So the next question was, what do Christian writings tell us? Um, the value of this evidence is that it is both early and detailed. The first Christian writings to talk about Jesus are the epistles of St. Paul. The scholars agree that the earliest of these writings were written, like I just said, within 25 years of Jesus' death at the very latest, while the detailed biographical accounts of Jesus in the New Testament Gospels date from around 40 years. Okay, so that's even closer than I said about the book of John being 90 years. They're saying 40 years. Um, these all appeared within the lifetime of numerous eyewitnesses and provide descriptions that comfort, or I'm sorry, that comport with the culture and geographic uh, uh, geography of first century Palestine. It is also difficult to imagine why Christian writers would invent such a thoroughly Jewish savior figure in a time and place under the ages of the Roman empire, where there was strong suspicion of Judaism. All right. So what did non-Christian authors say about Jesus? Uh, as far as we know, the first author outside the church to mention Jesus is the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who wrote uh, the history of Judaism around AD 93. He has two references to Jesus. One of these is controversial because it is thought to be corrupted by Christian scribes, probably turning Josephus's negative accounts into a more positive one. But the other is not suspicious. A reference to James, the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ is what he says. Um, so about 20 years after Josephus, we have the Roman polit uh, uh, politicians, Pliny and Tacticus, who held some of the highest offices of state at the beginning of the second century AD from Tacitus. We learned that Jesus was executed by Pontius Pilate was the Roman prefect in charge of Judea. Uh, Pliny contributes the information that where he was governor in Northern Turkey, Christians worship Christ as a God. Neither of them liked Christians. Pliny writes, they are pig headed uh, uh, and Tacticus write that their religion was a destructive superstition. All right. So I'm going to try to kind of move fast because I got a lot to get a lot to get into. Um, did ancient writers discuss the existence of Jesus? Strikingly, there was never any debate in the ancient world about whether Jesus was a historical figure. And the earliest literature of the Jewish rabbis, Jesus was denounced as the illegitimate child of Mary and a sorcerer among pagans. Uh, the Satanist Lucian and the philosopher Celsus, uh, Celsus, I think is how you say it, C-E-L-S-U-S, dismissed Jesus as a scoundrel, but we know of no one in the ancient world who questioned whether Jesus lived or not. Okay, so we kind of talked there a little bit of sources outside of the Bible. Those were the ones that really, really helped me um, just to see that we have an account from people outside of the Bible, but then also to to understand that the writings that we have in scripture are so much more closer in time of their writing to Jesus's life than we have of any other historical event. So that right there should just build faith in us to say, okay, these are eyewitness accounts written within some of these books, 40 years from Jesus's time on earth. And so with that being said, and with the episode last week where we talked about the different manuscripts and the things like that, the way that we can see that there is validity to the Bible. Now we're going to get into the word and see 
what Jesus said about himself, who he said that he was. First, I want to get into some of the um, Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. First, uh, God told Isaiah the people would not understand what he was doing. Jesus often used parables to keep casual observers from understanding his teaching. Um, and we're gonna, we're, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to just take some Old Testament scripture and then link it to different things that Jesus was doing in the New Testament. So the first one is Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And it says, and he said, go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. And blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. If you go over to Matthew chapter 13, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears and hear with their ears. I'm sorry, see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn and would heal them. So Jesus is talking about with the way his teaching style, teaching in parables, you can see that prophecy being fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus's life. Um, the next one, the Lord will redeem Israel from her sins. Jesus redeemed Israel. A couple of examples of that is Psalm 130, verse 7 and 8. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. If you look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All right. So God promised to send a son who would be called Emmanuel or God with us. And we can see that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name uh, uh, Emmanuel. Flip over to Matthew again, chapter 21. This is verse 22 and 23. Um, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. Next, it says, next we got God promised a stone that people would trip over. Jesus is that stone. He promises that in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. And it says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense. I'm sorry, offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to its inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. If you flip over to chapter uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 32 and 33, it says, Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but if it were based on works, they would have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Next, God promised David his spirit would rest on his offspring. Jesus is that offspring. Um, Isaiah 11, 1 and 2 it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and, and uh, the spirit of might. Um, if you flip over to Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter one, verse 10, it says, and he came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. That's just a couple instances of 
prophecies and things being spoken about in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. I can go on and on and on and on and on. But for time's sake, I just want to give you guys a couple of examples. And now I want to get into the word. I want to get into who Jesus said he was, who scripture tells us that Jesus was. And then from there, we're going to go into where does that leave us? So the first place that I want to go, I'm mainly going to be in the book of John, um, but we're going to bounce around a little bit. So first of all, John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, and, and this is speaking of Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Go to Colossians now. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, and it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. So we, we just see through those scriptures from John 1, 1 to Colossians from Hebrews that Jesus has been with God from the beginning. God didn't just create Jesus on earth. God didn't just create Jesus at any point. He's been there with God with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, the entire time. There's never been a moment in history or will ever be a moment in history that Jesus has not been. Let's go through the book of John. We're going to look at several different verses here to see who Jesus said that he was. And this is John chapter 3, verse 16. This is a verse that everybody who knows growing up, this is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. These are Jesus' words. He says that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he is not, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. God loved the world so much. God loved us so much. And his love was not merely just a sentimental love. It, it prompted him to take action by sending the propitiation for our sins. When you trust Jesus alone as your personal sin bearer, it takes that responsibility of sin off of you and gives you that free gift of eternal life that only Jesus can provide. This is John chapter 4, verse 25 and 26. And it said, this is the, the woman, of, woman at the well. Um, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and am he. Chapter 6, this is verse 27. Um, Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must be due to be doing the Father's work? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So this passage tells us that the only thing that God requires from us in terms of seeking that eternal life is just simply believing on Jesus Christ. It's just as simple as that, just believing on his son. Now let's go to John chapter 8. Uh, chapter 8, this is verse 48. We're going to read the rest of this chapter. Um, it's about 10, 12 verses. 
says, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced, and he would, uh, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not even fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up rocks to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Two things that I want to point out in this passage in particular. One is where they said, you're not even 50 years old. The significance of that by them bringing up his age was the fact that Jesus was a young rabbi. And in that day and age, in order for you to be able to give your interpretation of the text, you had to have what was called Shmika, I believe it's called Shmika authority. And you did not receive that authority until you were 50 years old. And Jesus was 30, you know, 30, 31 years old, whatever it was at this time. And they're like, dude, this, this is some young guy trying to speak as if he has the authority given to a rabbi who is 50 years old. Second thing I want to point out is how they said they, how uh, scripture says they picked up uh, stones to throw at him. All right now let's look at John chapter 10 verse 24 it says so the Jews gathered around him and said how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ tell us plainly Jesus answered I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them from my father's hand I and the Father are one. So verse number 31, and this is, this, like I said in, in the last passage, I wanted you to pick up on the fact that they were picking up rocks to stone him. Verse 31, it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I love how he, he tries to tell them that he's the Christ. And they're like, why are you keeping us in suspense? Just tell us if you're the Christ. Just tell us plainly. And then it's followed up with they pick up stones again because he has told them in the past who he was, yet they did not believe and they would not believe. The scales were on their eyes in such a way that they could not receive him as the Christ. Now, just stay with me. I know we're jumping around to a bunch of different scripture here, but I believe these are all beneficial and what are needed to prove um, who Jesus was, who he said he was, according to scripture. John 14, 6, this is one of my favorite verses. It says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then also I want to skip down to verse 15 through 17. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and, and um, will be in you. Okay, so I, I wanted to read that passage specifically because that points to the Trinity. Um, Jesus says, if you love me, he's speaking about himself, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will send 
a helper, the Holy Spirit. And even says in verse 17, even the spirit of truth. So that's just a clear indication that Jesus was speaking on the Trinity in that passage. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 5. This is verses 1 through 14. So we're just going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. I know it's I know we're doing a lot of reading, um, but just bear with me here. Uh, John says, So then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a, with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or to look upon it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or to look onto it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scrolls in its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, all the living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bows full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Um, let's skip down to verse 14. It says, And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. So I want to go up to where it talks about the seven horns. The seven horns, um, that represents uh, um, perfect power. Um, we know seven is the number of completion. Um, the horns represent power, so that's perfect power. The seven eyes represent wisdom, insight, and understanding. So when you see that seven, that's perfect wisdom, perfect insight, perfect understanding. Jesus embodies all of those descriptors. He has perfect in understanding, perfect in wisdom, perfect in insight, perfect in every area. He is perfect. He is worthy. The only one worthy to open up the scrolls. All right, so lastly, let's go over to Matthew chapter 16. And this one, I'm not really going to read scripture. I'm just going to kind of talk about it for a second because I believe that there's a lot of power in this passage that we don't even realize unless you understand like the historical background of what is going on in the area um, that this story in scripture is taking place. And um, this is Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 13. This is where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Um, and it talks about how as Jesus and his disciples enter in to Caesarea Philippi, um, he asks them the question, who do the people say that I am? And the thing about the area in which that he asked them this was the, the area of Caesarea Philippi, they all worshiped a God called Pan. He was the God of the wild. He was the God of shepherds and flocks. And there was in Caesarea Philippi, the cave of Pan. And inside the cave of Pan was this well, was this hole that the people believed that at the bottom of this hole, which they believed it was extremely, extremely deep. They believed that it was once you got to the bottom of that, that was hell. And if you look in this passage in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And he says this in an area that they are worshiping this false God. But then the way that Peter answers it, Peter says, you are the Christ. 
And Jesus says, yes, you did not know this on your own accord. My father revealed this to you. And on this rock, I will plant my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so he's saying this almost like, I, I, I don't know, it doesn't say in scripture, but you can almost take the the liberty to think maybe he is even around the cave of Pan. And he's saying to his disciples, not even the gates of Hades, maybe even pointing to the cave where the people believe the gates of hell were, are not going to prevail against my church. So lastly, where does that leave us? Um, we've kind of looked at who the person of Jesus was outside of Scripture from historical names that I can't pronounce a lot of them. I can't read them. Um, we've looked at it from the lens of what Scripture says, who Jesus said he was. Where does that leave us? And I think there are several different ways that you can go about it. Um, and I just want to stick to John for a second, and then we're going to look at um, the book of Acts, and then we're going to look at a couple of the verses, and then we're going to go ahead and close this out. But if you look in John chapter 4, verse 39, the woman at the well, many believed in Jesus because of her words, because of the encounter that she had with Jesus. And one encounter with Jesus can change everything in your life to the point where people who knew you before, just by the way that they see the change that God has made in their life or in your life, cause them to believe maybe there is something real about this Jesus guy. So live your life in such a way that others see the way that you speak, the way that you act, the way that you live and say, I want what they have. I believe in Jesus because I can see in the way that they are living differently than the people of this world, the living differently than what culture tells me to do or what culture tells me to be or what everybody else says that I should be. They're living differently. There's got to be something different. It's because of Jesus. That encounter with Jesus changes everything. But here's one thing that we need to have an understanding of as well. If we are pushing back against culture and we are saying, you know, there is something different about the way that I live because of what Jesus has done inside of me, there's going to be pushback to that. And a passage that really speaks to that is John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. This is uh, right after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. When the large crowds of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So Satan is going to come after you because he does not want you to be that representation of Jesus bringing you from death to life. He doesn't want your testimony to reach other people. People believed in Christ because of Lazarus, so they had to get rid of him. Set you, your life can prove to somebody else the existence of Jesus. So Satan is going to try to get rid of you. And then lastly, just what Jesus, the change of Jesus, further, just another example of what that change can do inside of you. And John chapter 18, I think, is a beautiful example of that because J Peter is, is constantly throughout Scripture talking about the things that he would do for Christ. 
I would die for you. I'm with you till the end, all these things. But then when the rubber meets the road and Jesus is being questioned and Jesus is being um, arrested and, and, and made fun of and berated and beaten, um, they come to him and ask Peter, you know, weren't you following this guy? And he's like, I'm not. But once he repented and on that day of Pentecost, the, the change that the Holy Spirit made inside of him gave him the boldness to be able to say the things that we read in Acts, where if you look in Acts chapter three, Peter and John are walking and they they give the man his sight. You know, there's a children's song growing up that they walk by the gate and, and the man is is looking for money. And, and Peter says, you know, silver and gold have I none, but whatever I have, I'll give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. So they were arrested for that because this was on Sabbath. And, and they had the boldness to say in that moment, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you are the ones that put Christ to death. You are the ones that are trying to silence the truth. You are the ones that are going against truth. And because of the boldness that they had, Many believed, if you look in Acts chapter um, 4, verse 3, uh, 4, verse 4, I'm sorry, it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men that came were about 5,000. So what that just shows us is Jesus can never be defeated. It doesn't matter how the world tries. It doesn't matter what Satan tries to do. Jesus is undefeated, and he will never be defeated. His name will never be blotted out. His name will never be forgotten. His name will never be proven to be anything other than truth and proven to be anything other than the one and only way to heaven, the only way to salvation, the only way to the Father. There's no disputing it. Ultimately, that should leave us in a state of wanting to do everything that we can for Christ. And I want to end on these two scriptures. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. It says, For I preach... For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I am not preaching the gospel. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, it says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it, it was I or they, so we preached and they believed. So that should leave us in our life wanting to be that person in somebody's life that the way that you live or the way that you speak with boldness because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit causes them and pushes them to want to believe, causes them to have questions in what does this person have that I don't have and that I need. And so that's all that I got for you guys today. Hopefully and prayerfully, something that was said today encourages you. Um, strengthens your faith is maybe something that you were looking for in your search, trying to find out more about Jesus. Like I said, these are some of the things that helped me. Hopefully I was able to articulate them at least in a way that you could somewhat understand what I was saying. Like I said, I know it was a lot of reading today. I know that some of the names were, were goofed up. Like I said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but um, we did the best that we could today and, and that's all that we can do. So hopefully the Lord will use this and allow it to reach and bless whoever he would have it to reach. And so um, I would be, it would be shameful for me in this moment not to offer you as much as I've been talking about Jesus. If I'm being honest, this is like the 10th or 12th take um, to start out because I just couldn't get rolling the way that I wanted to. And um, 
it, it just the heaviness of this topic is something that um, I, I was just, I've just been taking very, very seriously. And um, I've talked to, I've reached out to several different people and asked them to pray for me as I recorded this series and, and, and just the, um, the level of encouragement and the people that have reached out and told me that they're praying for me alongside this um, has been very overwhelming. I'm very thankful for each and every one of you guys. And so if you are listening to this right now and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to have a relationship with him. It's very simple. It's as simple as ABC. My pastor says that all the time. And it's A, you acknowledge that you are a sinner. You, be, you um, B, you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and done what he has said that he has done for you, which is died on the cross for your sin. And then C, confess your sin and call upon the name of the Lord. It's as simple as that. And scripture tells us that Jesus is standing at the door of your heart knocking. And proof that he died for you on the cross is he's knocking on your heart with that nail pierced hand. And the question is, are you going to open up that door for him? that's something that you want to do, you can just say this prayer after me. And it's not the words that these aren't magic words that are going to get you into heaven. It's not fire insurance. That's just going to keep you from hell. This is the start of your walk in your journey and your relationship with the person of Jesus Christ who lived on this earth, who died for you and who rose again for you and who is waiting for you, preparing a mansion in you, for you in glory. And so if this is something that you want to do, you need to take care of that right now because we're not promised tomorrow. And so um, it's as simple as this, Lord Jesus. I thank you so much for the price that you paid for me. Lord, I pray the best that I know how that you would forgive me. I know that you are who you say you are. I pray, Father, in this moment that you would come into my heart. Come into my life. Be the ruler and king of my life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And it's as simple as that. If you said that prayer with me, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Luke chapter 15 talks about that Jesus always leaves the 99 for the one. And if you are that one today that came into the fold, congratulations. That is the number one most important decision that you will ever make in your life. And so... With that being said, thank you guys so very much for tuning in. Next week, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one. We're going to talk about the price that Jesus paid. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the things that he went through um, pre-going to the cross and then on the cross. And uh, so that's, that's going to be a tough one um, just to think about and to dwell on that fact um, because... The price that he paid is something that we need to keep at the forefront of our mind um, because it's just something that we do not deserve and he paid for us so freely and gives it to us so freely and it's something that um, we just need to dive into. So we're going to do that next week. Um, like I said, hopefully you guys were able to get something out of this. Thank you guys for listening. God bless you guys. Lord willing, we'll be back same time next week. God bless.